0: Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Hello, welcome back to another Ask Me Anything episode. I'm so excited to get back to doing these AMAs. It's been a while. It's been months since we have done an Ask Me Anything episode. So I'm super excited to dive into all of these community questions. So I know I have a disclaimer at the end of every podcast episode, but I want to put them at the beginning of the AMAs as well, because I just want to make it very clear that although I am answering these questions, this is never, ever, ever, ever to be taken as personalized advice. I can't legally or ethically give any personalized advice unless a client practitioner relationship has been established, meaning that we have to actually be working together through either my Breaking Up With Anxiety four-month coaching program or on a one-on-one call. I offer one-on-one calls exclusively to those who have participated in either the Breaking Up With Anxiety program or the workshop bundle. This allows us to make the best use of our time together, focusing on practical implementation and addressing your specific questions and challenges. So both of these options can be found at www.tejandro.com forward slash programs. And I will also link that in the show notes. Whenever I answer these questions, I answer them from the perspective of like, okay, if this was my client, how would I support them, what additional information would I need, etc. So with that being said, let's dive in to today's questions. Question number one, how can I reduce my anxiety in the workplace and feel more at ease and relaxed? I suffer with anxiety and I hate having it at work. I'm a teacher. Well, first of all, thank you for being a teacher. <laughs> you are a saint, and I don't know how you do it. Uh, my mother is a teacher, and I have no idea how she worked with children all day and then came home and parented me and my two sisters. It's the same kind of work 24-7, which leads me to the first part of my answer. I would imagine that you are experiencing some level of adrenal dysfunction, also known as burnout. Burnout. Now, I'm not sure what stage you're in. So it's incredibly common for teachers to go in and out of this because of how incredibly demanding and stressful their jobs are. I don't know if you are also a mother on top of that. Adrenal dysfunction is a syndrome. It's not a diagnosis. There is no medication or surgery for it. It's a pattern of symptoms that impacts multiple body systems not just your adrenals. Everything in the body is connected. Everything affects everything. Your body works as a whole. Your body parts don't work in isolation. And this is one of the biggest differences and problems really with the kind of Western medical healthcare system versus, you know, the holistic healthcare system that I work in is the Western medical tends to look at things in isolation. Like you have a specialist for everything and they don't take into consideration that all your body parts work together, not in isolation, versus the holistic healthcare model that looks at everything as a whole. Your adrenal health has everything to do with your brain, your entire hormonal network. So your brain, your hypothalamus, your pituitary, your thyroid, adrenals, sex hormones. It also impacts your nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and the vagus nerve all of which then goes on to influence gut health, especially the vagus nerve. And there's three different phases. So because I don't know you, I'm not working with you. I don't know your case. um, I don't know what phase of adrenal dysfunction you're in and therefore what my suggestions would be, they would be tailored to what phase you're in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the three different phases and then Talk about my recommendations based on the phase so phase one is kind of the we call it the alarm or the early stage phase two is known as the resistance or mid stage and then phase three is burnout or late stage. So in phase one, we have the activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which is causing our stress hormones cortisol and adrenaline to be released. And we call it the alarm stage because it's referring to the initial symptoms that the body is going to experience when under stress. So the heart rate is going to increase, the adrenal glands are going to start to release cortisol and adrenaline, and energy is actually going to increase right now. So what can result is the following symptoms. High blood pressure, anxiety, depression, blood sugar starting to dysregulate, high and low, poor memory, sleep problems, sugar cravings, frequent colds, flus, and infections. Phase two, so if this goes unchecked and we're not intervening, we're in phase one and you're not intervening with the dietary changes, the lifestyle changes, looking at the gut health, and I'll explain all that in a little bit. If you're not intervening in this stage, it's going to accelerate or turn into advance. It's going to advance into phase two. So this is the resistance or mid-stage. It's the progression of the alarm phase where your symptoms are becoming more chronic at this point. And what we see happening here is because the body is remaining in this place of high alert it's eventually going to adapt and just learn to live with this increased stress level so we call this stress adaptation so your body's going to continue to pump out those stress hormones blood sh- blood pressure is going to stay elevated uh, we're going to see symptoms like so that high or low blood pressure blood sugar circulation, that tired but wired feeling, increased need for caffeine or stimulants, afternoon crashes or fatigue between 2 and 5 p.m., weight gain, especially around the uh, abdominal area, sugar cravings, anxiety and depression. You can see ulcers at this stage, frequent cold, flu, and infection, fertility issues, uh, issues with menstruation. Thyroid issues, uh, poor focus, memory concentration, issues with sleep, uh, osteoporosis or osteopenia, depending what stage of life you're in. And then if we stay in this phase two, this resistance stage, this continues for too long without breaks to offset the effects of all of this chronic stress, physical stress from within the body, stress is not just mental and emotional, then this is going to lead us into phase two, the exhaustion stage. And this is actual burnout. It, it happens when we have ongoing, unrelieved and mismanaged stress. Our body here is almost really running out of resources. So it's been drained physically, emotionally, mentally, to the point where the body no longer has the strength to fight stress. This is going to weaken the immune system. It's going to increase the risk for any stress-related illnesses. We're going to see a lot of fatigue here, depression, anxiety, like extreme fatigue, difficulty getting out of bed, poor focus, memory concentration, low blood sugar, blood sugar dysregulation, a dependence on caffeine or stimulants, or Caffeine and stimulants no longer have an effect on energy. Salt cravings, uh, nausea, vomiting, loose stools, digestive issues, sleep issues, more so like um, people can sleep for 12 to 14 hours in this stage and they still feel tired or they'll have uh, insomnia. Insomnia. So in uh, Breaking Up the Anxiety, my four-month group coaching program, I have this adrenal dysfunction symptom analysis that the women will fill out so I understand what stage they're in and how I can best support them. There's 93 symptoms on this form, and you basically rate them on a scale of zero to three. Zero, you never experienced that symptom. One, rarely. Two, sometimes. Three, often or regularly. And then based on those scores, plus looking at their diet, their gut health, their lifestyle, their health history, and all the other intake information, I can help determine what stage someone is in. And therefore, the protocols I would support someone with to pull them out of that stage of adrenal dysfunction, they're going to be different. So... Without you having filled that out and me actually working with you, I can't tell you exactly what steps to take, uh, but what I can do is give generic recommendations based on the stage. So I listed off a lot of the common signs and symptoms we see for phase one, phase two, phase three. So let's say you identify with uh, phase one. In phase one, we wanna look at limiting or removing alcohol, limiting or removing all caffeine. So this would be coffee, chocolate, caffeinated tea, energy drinks. We wanna increase protein. So eating one gram of protein per pound of lean or ideal body weight, reducing or eliminating inflammatory foods. So gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, soy, inflammatory oils. Deep breathing exercises every single day, daily walks, um, cyclical weightlifting three to five times a week in alignment with your hormones. If you do do high intensity exercise, then really you're only gonna you want to focus on doing that in the follicular phase for about thirty minutes, maybe twice a week max. For carbs in this phase, you can play around with carbs a little bit. Um, and cycle them based on your monthly flow. So you can go leaner with carbs in the follicular phase. You can increase them after ovulation and then go heavier with carbs at dinner. Yoga Nidra is a beautiful practice. I will link my favorite YouTuber, Ali Boothroyd. I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly, but I will link her YouTube channel in the show notes. Uh, That's who I use for Yoga Nidra. I love it. Sleep needs to be a priority here, sleeping at least eight or nine hours. The more you sleep, the faster you will get better. Working on reframing chronic emotional and mental stress, especially if it's tied to your work. Uh, If you have got imbalances in the colon, the liver, and the small intestine, then these absolutely need to be addressed because they are root causes of adrenal dysfunction. Some helpful supplements in this phase, the supplements will be different depending on the phase, but some helpful supplements for phase one would be ashwagandha, phosphatidylserine. Oh my gosh, I give up. I can't pronounce that. <laughs> I didn't actually look up the phonetic pronunciation of that. Um, and it's just not happening. Happening, phosphatidylserine. L-theanine, balls, lavender, magnesium, So those are generic suggestions and recommendations for phase one. So if we go into phase two, if you were resonating with the signs and symptoms of phase two, we want to do a lot of the same things um, as with phase one, but with some tweaks. So limiting and removing alcohol or limiting or removing alcohol, limiting or removing all caffeine again, Increasing protein, one gram of protein per pound of lean or ideal body weight, reducing or eliminating the inflammatory foods, same ones that I mentioned with phase one, deep breathing exercises every single day, daily walks twice a day would be great outside. Cyclical weightlifting here one to three times a week. So this is going to be less and this should be based on energy and post-workout recovery. No high intensity exercise at all in this phase and we actually want to start to increase carbs in phase two. So we're no longer cycling the carbs based on the follicular phase, ovulation, et cetera. Like I explained for phase one, we really do want to focus on increasing carbs and keeping them higher during this phase. Yoga Nidra, Sleep eight to nine hours. So again, the more you sleep, the faster you'll get better. Oh, and when I say carbs, I'm not talking about breads and pastas. I'm talking about the earth-made carbs, not the man-made carbs. So, uh, you know, sweet potato, rice, squashes, beets, carrots, like the carb, veggies. I'm talking about veggie carbs, um, beans and legumes, all that good stuff. Um, sleep, I said, reframing chronic emotional and mental stress. Again, same thing as before. If you have digestive imbalances in the colon, liver, and small intestine, these absolutely have to be addressed. And then for supplements, helpful supplements for phase two would be herbs like rhodiola, ashwagandha, lavender, and minerals like magnesium and vitamins like vitamin C. So that's phase two. Phase three This stage is often called the late stage or exhaustive stage. This is when you would officially be in burnout. I have been there. It's not fun. I talk about it in great detail in episode 7 and episode 26. If you're curious to understand adrenal dysfunction a little bit better, definitely check out those episodes of this podcast. So same thing, you will notice some overlapping foundational things like across all stages, all phases. We want to limit or remove alcohol. We want to limit or remove caffeine. We want to increase protein. We want to reduce or eliminate the inflammatory foods. We want to develop a regular daily breathwork practice, yoga nidra, sleep, reframing chronic and emotional mental stress, addressing gut imbalances in the colon, the liver, the small intestine, um, the stomach as well. I actually don't know why I didn't say stomach for all those phases, but stomach as well. Basically, you have to look at the entire gut health because that is a huge part of the adrenal dysfunction puzzle. Daily walks, again, is our main focus here. Lifting light weights one times a week, one time a week based on energy and post-workout recovery, no high intensity exercise, carbs, the macros should be almost balanced in this phase. So every single meal you want protein, fat, carb, and veggies. Um, Just as an example, when I say balanced macros, I mean, for example, just to make it even 100 grams of protein, 100 grams of carbs, 100 grams of Fats. Now, I'm not actually saying to use those macros because the macros are going to change based on um, a person's weight, a person's height, and their goals, like their health goals. That's all going to influence what their macros are. For sleep, you really want to aim for 10 hours in this phase because that's really what's going to start to enhance our recovery. And then in terms of supplements, we're looking at things like uh, a B-complex, licorice root, uh, adrenal cortex, lavender, glycine, um, especially if sleep support is needed, magnesium, and vitamin C. So to circle back to your question, how do you feel more at ease and relaxed in the workplace because you hate having anxiety at work? This is where the mental health community or the narrative in the mental health community gets it wrong. And this is what I mean. If you go to a therapist with this question, they're going to look at workplace anxiety in several different ways. Um, you know, they might, if they know, if they are trained in cognitive behavior therapy, they might work with you using CBT to help identify and change negative thought patterns and beliefs that contribute to anxiety. So, The therapist is going to guide you in recognizing irrational or unhelpful thoughts about your work environment and teach you how to replace these thoughts with more balanced and constructive ones. They might also work with you on mindfulness techniques to help you stay present and grounded at work. Um, They might teach you stress management strategies like deep breathing exercises Progressive muscle relaxation or visualization that could be used in the moment to help alleviate the anxiety, they might work on strategies to help you build emotional resilience, so helping you to understand your emotional triggers at work and develop coping strategies to deal with them effectively. They're probably gonna to wanna to dig into why you feel anxious at work. Is it from issues with your boss, your coworkers, uh, communication breakdowns? Is it linked to deeper personal issues or past experiences, traumas? Now, I'm not saying these things are bad. These are some excellent, excellent tools. But it's putting all the focus on the issue being anxiety at work when that's not that might not be the underlying issue. There are other issues as well, like what's actually happening inside your body, what's happening with your hormones, your adrenals, your gut health, and how all of this is impacting your nervous system flexibility. The key to eliminating anxiety at work, in my opinion, is eliminating anxiety everywhere, like actually eliminating the body-based imbalances that are creating the symptom of anxiety. The only kind of anxiety um, that is normal is temporary, situational, short-term anxiety that is easy to resolve. The key word there being easy to resolve. Meaning, you experience this type of anxiety a few times a year at work, not constantly at work. And based on your question, it sounds like this is a chronic thing, like you chronically feel anxious at work. That means that you have chronic anxiety right? Chronic anxiety is long-term. It can last for several months or longer years. Like in my case, it was four years. It's ongoing. It persists even when there's no obvious stressors or triggers. This is a symptom coming from a body that is out of balance. This impacts how you handle the stressors in your job. So it's less about what's happening around you, aka at work, and it's more about what's happening Inside of you, it's time to start looking at the whole picture, not just the frame you're currently in. So the question becomes Am I supporting and fueling my body properly so that I can feel more at ease and relaxed? Not how do I reduce my anxiety in the workplace to feel more at ease and relaxed? Does that make sense? This is my opinion, at least, and something I feel very, 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 very strongly about. Um, I think we. And I did this for many years as someone who used to have a generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and depression. I think we're focusing on the wrong things. I focused on the wrong things for a long time. It's like tunnel vision. Instead of zooming out and looking at the whole picture and focusing on the actual physical body, not just the mind or not just our outside situations, it's not just about calming your mind in the moment. It's about creating an internal environment inside your body where anxiety does not have the soil to grow in the first place. So my approach and the way that I'm going to answer these questions is always going to be from the inside out versus therapy and medication from your doctor. That approach is top down from the mind down. And if that was all it took everyone would just take medication or go to therapy and the anxiety would be gone but it doesn't work like that the women i work with they break up with their chronic anxiety and they only experience normal temporary situational short term anxiety a few times a year that's easy to resolve and i work with so many women who come into the program and they they're like i have driving anxiety is this going to help me drive again and the short answer is yes, but the longer answer is you know, I don't actually, I'm not a therapist, so I don't actually give them any tools or resources specific to why they feel anxious driving. We just do the work to address their adrenals, to address their hormones, to address their gut health, to look at their diet to look at their lifestyle habits and their lifestyle choices. And when we ad- work to address what is actually creating chronic anxiety within the body, then you start to see this ripple effect in all these other areas at life. in life. So anxiety at work is going to improve. There's no longer any driving anxiety, things like that. So I hope that helps. Next question. I have studied holistic nutrition like you and I eat very clean but I have become so anxious that I have to force myself to eat and have lost quite a bit of weight. I'm not sure what you could say or teach me to help me feel better that I don't already know. Should I suspect there's something else wrong with me? I have a lot of thoughts on this because this is actually not the first time I've been asked this question. And I have worked with um, a few people who have asked very similar questions like this years ago. I have worked with several women who have similar, if not the same, education as me or similar backgrounds in holistic nutrition. And I've also worked with other practitioners personally when it comes to my health goals. In fact, I always consult other practitioners when it comes to my health. And here's why. I'm too close to it. Self-diagnosing and trying to treat yourself leads to biases. It clouds judgment. Working with another nutritionist who specializes in the health condition you are looking to overcome provides you with an objective assessment. It's free from your own personal biases and blind spots. I can't tell you how many times you know my therapist or a naturopath or other nutritionists that I have worked with have pointed something out to me that when they did, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, but I wasn't seeing it myself. This doesn't make me a bad practitioner because I can do that no problem for my clients. I have no problem being that objective person for them, but not for myself. And that's very normal. It's also mentally and emotionally taxing to try and manage your own health concerns when things come up. So I love personally having the mental and emotional support of other practitioners. I have booked appointments and paid you know friends and colleagues of mine other practitioners in this space to get their opinion on things that I'm working through and doctors and therapists are actually advised against treating themselves they are told to go to others and doctor they are told to go to other therapists and doctors so why is that different for nutritionists you know I think no matter what your education is, when it comes to your health, you will always benefit from seeking external expertise um, for a more objective, comprehensive, and effective care. So, a personal example of this is when I read my own blood work, and I also book an appointment with my ND to have her read it because I always want to I want to know what she thinks, I want to see what she's seeing. And I wanna make sure that nothing is slipping through the cracks. So besides that, my other thought when it comes to your question is, what does clean eating mean to you? Because that can mean a whole whack of different things to a bunch of different people. Half the people I graduated with think plant-based eating is so clean and so healthy, and I very much disagree. Also, the research around protein requirements has shifted so much since I graduated uh, and has increased substantially, so whenever someone tells me they eat clean, I honestly, I have no idea what that means. Maybe you are very aligned with plant-based, as I mentioned, or intermittent fasting, or juice cleansing or keto. These are all different things that, you know, I was taught in my program where it was, it wasn't like, oh, this is the one diet you should follow. We were taught a bunch of different diets that can be used for different therapeutic effects, health conditions, and clinical interventions. So I'm assuming because you have a background in nutrition That your diet is addressing your nutrient gaps, your hormonal fluctuations, your health history, your adrenal and thyroid health, your past dieting habits, your gut health, your potential gut infections, your goals, and your preferences. But based on the part of your question where you say you've become so anxious that you have to force yourself to eat and you've lost quite a bit of weight, that tells me you're not eating enough protein, fiber, or calories. So I would say that despite, quote unquote, eating clean, your diet is absolutely contributing to why you're experiencing anxiety. Should you suspect that something else is wrong? For sure. Because if your diet didn't cause this, then what did? Did you pick up a parasite? Is your body overburdened with heavy metals? Could this be from mold toxicity? So I would absolutely investigate for all potential gut infections and pathogens, or did something really stressful and traumatic happen? You know, as Gabor Mate says, trauma is not what happens to you, it's what happens inside of you as a result of what happened to you. So in this case, let's say, for example, again, I don't know, right? But let's say, for example, something really, really stressful or traumatic happened Did you take the necessary steps to support your body, to support the after effects of trauma, meaning what happened inside your body physically? So even if the traumatic event has passed, it still impacted your body. It created a pro-inflammatory state. It altered the gut microbiome. It impacts cortisol levels, your stress hormones. It impacts the nervous system, the vagus nerve all of which are body-based imbalances and they need to be addressed as such. So sure, your diet may be clean, but maybe now you have digestive imbalances from the trauma or you picked up a parasite and maybe those weren't addressed. I also don't know when you studied. So I studied in 2015 and I learned a few things very quickly. One, Working with people is very, very, very different than reading a textbook and doing the sample case studies that we did in our program. So even in our practicums that we did in my program, where you you worked with like four actual people, it was just the initial intake session. And we built plans off of that, but it it wasn't like follow-ups or working with people long-term. The field of healthcare should be addressed as an art and a science. It's both and this is where the medical community falls short, they only look at the science and they largely ignore what their patients are actually telling them. And they basically, basically ignore all anecdotal feedback from their patients. And, you know, I was talking to a mama in my DMs not too long ago, and she did the exact same school as me. So the exact same program. And she was having trouble conceiving and she wanted to take matters into her own hands. And sure enough, she got pregnant naturally. And, you know, now she has her daughter and her daughter is really struggling with her mental health. And she was telling me, you know, because she has a background in holistic nutrition, she's just dismayed that this is happening and that she hasn't been able to fix it. And I said to her, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Having a background in holistic nutrition is not the same thing as specializing in mental health and working with people day in and day out with the exact same conditions and seeing all the different reasons for this, all the causative factors, all the root causes that this is happening, right? Like I have a specialized practice. I'm not a general practitioner. Also, when the problem is so close to us, like we are personally struggling, or it's our child, sometimes we cannot see the forest through the trees. We are not being objective. There is so much emotion involved. And I was telling her, you know, the program that we did, it was an excellent foundation, but I learned very quickly when I started practicing that there was also a lot of outdated information in that program. And as somebody who has her own program, my four-month breaking up with anxiety group coaching program, it's actually so much work to keep it up to date. So imagine a two-year program, like even university programs and medical schools are not kept up to date. They expect that you're going to learn more when you're out in the field because the field is ever-evolving so rapidly that textbooks and course materials can become outdated within a few years. And obviously there are some fundamental basic concepts that change less frequently but I think that this is a trap that a lot of healthcare professionals fall into and something that holds us back from getting better is thinking that we know everything based on our education and I can speak from experience that unless you're out there actually practicing in the field and keeping up with all the current research you don't know everything like not even close. So I hope that helps to answer your question. And let's move on to question number three. Hi, Tay. Hi. <laughs> In your how to eat workshop, you mentioned that there is really no replacement for cheese, but I'm wondering how you feel about raw goat cheese or raw sheep cheese. Okay. So this is a question from someone who has my workshop bundle. So for anyone wondering um, what that is, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Uh, There's also going to be a link for my four month program in the show notes as well. If you're looking to follow a step-by-step method that is going to allow you to say bye-bye to your anxiety for good without daily high intensity workouts, overhauling your entire life, using any kind of medication or ditching all the foods you love. Because a life without anxiety is possible. You just have to take the proper steps to eliminate the imbalances in your gut. And that's exactly what happens in the four months that we could be spending together in the Breaking Up With Anxiety program. But back to the question, what's the deal with dairy? So dairy is a hugely controversial subject in the health and wellness space. Some people advocate that dairy is okay, while others just kabosh like even a trace of it. I'm not anti-dairy, depending on the person. I don't think this is a black and white answer. Um, I do think that not all dairy is created equally. This is true. So things like goat, sheep, buffalo, cow, A lot of people will experience intolerances to cow, but they'll be okay with goat and sheep because there are different types of proteins in different types of dairy that cause different types of issues for different people. But even if tolerable... Like if you think you are okay with goat or you think you are okay with sheep raw specifically, which is definitely even better, um, I still think that it should be consumed moderately about three, four times a week. And there's so many factors to consider here. So unfortunately, I can't tell you what to do. Uh, One, because I don't know you. I don't know your case. I'm not working with you there's so many things to consider. Like, do you have digestive issues, gas, floating, diarrhea, constipation, skin issues, eczema, acne, dry skin? Um, what's going on kind of with your bone health? Um, do you have autoimmune conditions or autoimmune associated conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, things going on with the thyroid, Hashimoto's, like there's, there's so much more I would need to know um, about somebody to help guide them a little bit more on dairy. So I'm going to speak very, very, very generally here, because I don't know anything about your current digestive health, your hormonal health, your health history, none of that, right. But in general, some better choices for dairy let's say depending on the person could be grass-fed full-fat yogurt unsweetened kefir so fermented milk grass-fed butter or ghee goat and sheep dairy if tolerable water buffalo dairy if tolerable the kinds of dairy that we want to avoid or limit or reduce as much as possible is the conventional dairy, all reduced fat dairy. So low fat, skim, non-fat, reduced fat cheeses. And we also just, we need to know how you react to dairy because somebody might be able to have goat cheese, like a raw goat cheese three to four times a week and they're fine. And somebody else might not be able to do that. Right? So this isn't a black and white answer. It really depends on the person. And there's a lot of inflammatory markers associated with food that people have no idea are from food. So they don't actually know. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and she said to me, "Well, I'm not sensitive to gluten and dairy." And I said, "Well, how do you know that?" And she was like, "Oh, good question." you know? (laughs) So uh, I'll walk you through um, how I help my clients figure out if a food is causing inflammation for them without testing. So without looking at food intolerance testing, which I actually don't recommend, food intolerance testing is largely, food intolerances are largely a symptom of poor gut health, so I think getting food intestines, food intolerance testing, is a waste of money. If you have not done the deep digestive work, like you 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 haven't balanced all the different parts of the digestive funnel, like stomach acid, you haven't supported the liver, you haven't looked at the small intestine what's going on with the colon, like all of these things need to be taken into consideration and addressed first for months before even considering food intolerance testing, in my opinion, because otherwise, you're just paying a whole bunch of money for a test to tell you you can't have these foods that it might not actually be true. Now, if you are somebody who has been supporting your digestive health properly for years, and you're curious to see if you're intolerant to dairy, let's say, you could get food intolerance testing, I wouldn't. Personally, I wouldn't. Um, There are other markers that you can look at on blood work for inflammation, which is my preferred method to get full and complete blood work every six months to at least a year. And to look at the inflammatory markers on that to just kind of see how you're doing. But we can also do this without testing at all. And we can do this by tracking symptoms. Let's stick with the example of this question about raw goat cheese and raw sheep cheese. So you're going to test one product at a time. Let's do the raw goat cheese first. Remove all the dairy, all dairy, goat, sheep, everything from your diet for three weeks at the same time as using some kind of gut repair powder. So for me, I really, really love Designs for Health, GI Revive. I have that in my supplement shops, which I will link in the show notes. When I'm working with my clients, I would actually have Make sure that their entire digestive funnel has been supported for at least three months before doing this, but I don't know what your digestive imbalances are, so I can't speak to that, but I will say that using some kind of gut repair powder is a really important part of this. So you're going to remove all dairy for three weeks. You're going to use this gut repair powder. I like Designs for Health, GI Revive. So that's step one, the removal of all products and making sure that you are supporting your gut health properly and taking this gut repair powder. Step two is you're gonna introduce the one dairy product, so the goat cheese, let's say, and you're gonna eat it two to four times on day one. Then you're gonna stop eating it from day two to four, and then you're gonna track and observe your symptoms. If no symptoms arise after day four, then you can assume that you can bring this food back into rotation about three to four times a week. However, the worse you feel after eating a food or the longer the symptoms last, the longer that you should wait before testing the specific food again. So you really want to give your body time to recalibrate, to rebalance before introducing the next food group. So after you've successfully introduced a food with no symptoms for four days, you can now assume that you can consume that food in rotation. But what that means is no more than three to four times a week, like for dairy, for the foods that are known to be inflammatory. So gluten, dairy, sugar, corn, soy, and the inflammatory oils. You don't want to eat it more than three to four times a week so that you don't develop a sensitivity by consuming too much of the ag- aggravating food so this is about finding out what works best for your body okay everybody is different so learning to listen to the signs and signals of your body and what your body is telling you so you can actually interpret what foods serve you and what foods might not be best for you so what kind of symptoms are you looking for headaches or pressure Any digestive or bowel changes, constipation, heartburn, bloating, diarrhea, indigestion, burping, anything with the skin, acne, rashes, eczema, itchy, skin, fatigue after eating, sinus or chest congestion, mood, dips in energy level, joint or muscle aches, sleep issues, any mood changes, anxiety, depression, irritability, water retention, cramps, PMS. These are the main ones. And remember, these symptoms can show up for up to four days after eating the offending food, which is why so many people are not connecting how they feel to what they are eating. So I can use my own personal example when it comes to dairy. I could eat the best, cleanest dairy, like the raw, organic, grass-fed, A2, so less inflammatory, you know, goat or sheep dairy. And it does not matter. If I eat it more than two to three times a week, I will break out, I will get my chronic cystic acne. So I know that I can have a little bit of dairy in moderation, which realistically for me looks like about two times a week. Now I never drink milk. Like I would never drink like a dairy milk or a goat milk or a sheep milk. Um, But cheese, that, that could look like cheese. The exception for me is that I'm completely fine with organic grass fed butter. And I use that every single day I cook with that and I'm completely fine with that. So you definitely have to test these things out. So sorry if I could not be more helpful because there is no yes or no right or wrong answer. And honestly, if somebody's telling you like, yeah, no problem, goat cheese is raw goat cheese is fine across the board, raw sheep cheese is fine a- across the board, then they're not taking bioindivid individuality into consideration. Okay, let's do one more question. Yay, I got through four today. (laughs) Okay, this question is about food burnout and not knowing what you feel like eating because you're sick of eating the same things over and over. I know I just need to take my brain out of it and just do it, but right now I'm not excited about what I'm eating. Just dinners though. Breakfast and lunch are great, I have no problem eating the same thing. It's just dinners. Maybe it's the January blahs. Okay, so I think this is really normal. I go through phases like this as well, especially because I eat beans with every single one of my meals breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And there's only so many different types of beans you can choose from, and different spices and, you know, lentils. So I do totally get it. I'm going to share with you what I do, and then I'm going to share, you know, other recommendations and things my clients have done that have who have experienced similar feelings that have helped them. So here's what I do. I kind of just suck it up. (laughs) Uh, At this point, I've been doing this work, so eating this way and feeling so good since 2015, and that outweighs everything else. I know that there will be cycles where I'm just kind of bored of what I'm eating, and I don't look at food to be this exciting thing that brings me joy. I look at food as medicine and it really matters to me what I'm putting in my body and it matters to me so much that I don't really care if I get bored and I know that it will pass because I've been doing this for so long. So it's just really a mindset shift for me and a change in perspective that helps me. So for you, you could look at your dinner as an opportunity to nourish and take care of yourself. And it's about the nutritional value and less about maybe the satisfaction beyond taste. There are a few things that I will do when it to prepare myself for when the boredom hits. And it doesn't hit all the time, but I have gone through cycles of feeling bored of what I'm eating. So... I have a notes folder on my iPhone where if I make something that I really like, I save it so that when I'm feeling uninspired, I'll go back through my notes and it'll remind me of a lot of the things that I forgot about. We all kind of eat the same things on rotation all the time. So we'll maybe have eight main meals that we make or six to eight or six to 10, you know, main meals that we make and we forget about the other stuff that we have experimented with. I'll also go through the Breaking Up the Anxiety Recipe Library, which is obviously my own library, (laughs) but it has over 400 gluten-free and dairy recipes, so endless amounts of inspiration. And same thing, I'll go through those recipes and I'll be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I forgot about this one. This was so good. And then I bring that one back into my rotation for a little bit. I think we think that we like remember so much more than we actually do. So if we're feeling bored or uninspired by our food, sometimes it's the simplest thing as just looking at our own inspiration. I'll actually leave a link to the recipe library in the show notes because Google can get really overwhelming and intimidating when it comes to recipes. There's so many and you might not know, oh my gosh, is this good? Is this bad for my anxiety? But if you get the recipe library, then you'll have 400 meal ideas that you know are good. And you can basically pick from any of those. Something else that I do is um, I always meal prep different components that can be mixed and matched to create different meals rather than prepping the exact same meal for multiple nights. So I'll pick three types of animal protein, three types of beans that I can just make different and yummy with different spices, like in my slow cooker, on my stove top. And then I'll do uh, three or four different types of veggies so that let's say when I'm going for breakfast, which I don't actually call my meals breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I call them meal one, meal two, meal three, because I think... One of the best things that we can do for our hormonal and mental health is just get out of this idea that breakfast food has to be breakfast food, like cereal and bagels and eggs and muffins and toasts. That's honestly one of the reasons that you're struggling with anxiety. And you can eat whatever you eat for lunch and dinner for breakfast. Like we don't need to have these different types of meals. And that's why I don't call my meals breakfast lunch and dinner I just call them meal one meal two meal three you have to eat high protein for breakfast and that's really hard if you're just focusing on like the quote unquote like North American breakfast foods like oatmeals and cereals and eggs so when I go to eat my breakfast or my meal one I just look at the food that I have prepped and I'll just be like okay I want this animal protein I want this bean thing and this veggie And then maybe the next day for my meal one, I'll pick the same animal protein, but a different bean and a different veggie or something like that. So I'm not eating the exact same thing for three days in a row for my first meal, my second meal and my third meal, because I would 100% get bored of that. Something else I do is I take breaks. So I give myself permission to take a break from cooking and order takeout my go-to is faux. I usually get that several times a month. And pizza, yes, I order pizza once or twice a month. I actually had Domino's last weekend, which is probably the least healthy pizza option ever. And then I dip it in like that ranch sauce, which is basically super inflammatory oils and chemicals. (laughs) But every once in a while, it's fine. It's not a weekly thing. And yes, I know I said what I put in my body is the most important thing to me, but I also don't think a little Domino's pizza every now and then is going to undo all of the other amazing work that I do. And often, what feels boring and redundant to me isn't so much what I'm eating, but having to cook. So I try to always turn my cooking time into a creative outlet, like playing some great music, dancing around, singing. Uh, you know, YouTubing new cooking techniques and playing around with those, or just using it as time to catch up on my favorite podcasts. Now, because you specifically mentioned dinner, why don't you try one new recipe a week? So experimenting with different flavors, spices, and cooking methods that can make dinner more exciting. You can also do uh, themed dinner nights. My mom used to do this growing up, you know, like Taco Tuesday, Stir Fry Saturday. If you have kids, that would be really fun to get them involved in the meal prep. And the routine is fun for them to know, you know, like, oh, every Tuesday is tacos. Like I loved that as a kid. It was obviously those not so great for you taco (laughs) kits that are delicious, but filled with inflammatory ingredients. So, you know, please not those, but you get the point. And finally, just touching on The, you know, could it be the January blahs piece? It could absolutely be winter blues, you know, seasonal affective disorder with the shortened days, less sunlight, and the colder weather can significantly impact our mood, energy levels, and motivation. And this seasonal shift could lead to a decreased interest in the activities that were once previously enjoyable to us, like cooking or trying new foods. So I have a few things that I really lean on. Uh, in January, where, where I live, this is like the depths of winter. It's cold, it's dark, the holidays are over, all that jazz. And my January habits really go against the green. So against the new year, new me energy that a lot of people are bringing, I'm doing the opposite. And I'm really embracing the yin energy of winter. It's a season that calls for stillness and restoration and integrating lessons from past seasons and deep 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 nourishment which means i do things like more rest more sleep i go to bed earlier i sleep in if that's what my body's asking for i take a lot of baths so about three to four times a week for at least 20 minutes with epsom salts get the usb grade magnesium sulfate and i'll add grounding tree or wood essential oils like black spruce, eucalyptus, cypress. I do strength training 3 times a week minimum. That really helps with the winter blues. I really lean on a herbal adaptogenic support right now because I'm not getting as much morning sunlight or sunlight as general, really, as we would in the spring, fall, or summer, but really that morning sunlight, that's so key. So some of my favorite herbs for this are uh, rhodiola, cordyceps, ashwagandha. I also have an Orion red light device. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you follow me on Instagram, you see me using it all the time. And this has actually really been a game changer for me. It's my second winter using it. And I really notice a huge difference in my mood, my energy, my motivation in the darker winter months. Oh, I also have a discount code. So I'll put all that in the show notes in case you want to check it out. And then the last thing that I do is microdose psilocybin. I actually have to order more of that. This reminds me. I work with an amazing company called Vellum Health. I did a whole podcast episode with one of the co-owners, May. It's episode 12 called The Magic of Microdosing. So definitely check that out. So that was kind of a two-part answer. I talked about the food burnout and the getting bored of eating the same things. And then I know you didn't really ask about (laughs) support for January blues but part of your question just triggered that and made me think about that because it's obviously a conversation I have with so many people in my community so I did just want to offer a few tips and tricks that I find to be so helpful for the dark winter months and that is a wrap thank you so much for listening to today's episode I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.